When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello. And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your questions on being mindful of reserved time slots at public pools, the do's and don'ts of a small wedding, post-wedding wedding showers, and taking a mental health day from work. For Awesome Etiquette Sustaining members, our question of the week is about acknowledging that someone has brought you a gift before they've presented it to you. Plus your most excellent feedback, etiquette salute, and a postscript this week on condolence notes. All that's coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of our home offices in Vermont and is proud to be produced by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning. Because we had a pretty fun Memorial Day weekend. I know it was two weeks ago now at this point when we when we aired this, but we, we got to do Christmas at the end of summer. <laughs> we did. How did we manage to pull that off? <laughs> I think uh, my parents had a pool. The weather complied with a nice sunny late summer day. And all the posts who live in Vermont were actually around on Labor Day weekend, which blows my mind. But it was really, really awesome. We all got together at my parents' house for a little pool party, and we called it Christmas in July because, sadly, I think our Christmas plans are changing. Our traditions are changing. <laughs> oh, you the snowbirds. Family. I know. Four out of the six fourth generation travel south for the winter now, and most of the fifth generation has kids of their own, so they're doing their own kind of things on Christmas. And everyone was feeling like rather than than get together at the holiday time when it for the past two years, we haven't been able to. Why not try throwing a party in the summer and getting everyone together when it's just a bit less hectic? And boy, if I didn't hear at least seven or eight people out of the 20 plus who were there say, wow, I really like this. We should do this for Christmas instead. I wish people could see the smile on my face right now because it was so the way I was feeling. It was a great version of that party. And I'm sure I will miss some of the the very traditional Christmas things that used to happen when that was a Christmas party. But traditions change and evolve and they stay the same. It was all the people I cared about the most. And it was such a great environment for doing exactly what we wanted to do, which was spend some time together. Yeah, no, it it really, really was. It was awesome to see everybody. Really fun, the the grandkids all running around. Yes. Some of them get to see each other all the time and others don't. And so it was kind of fun watching them discover that they have this group. My niece and nephew who go out to my parents' house every weekend, most times both days, to like spend all day at grandma and grandpa's house on the weekends, were almost shocked. To see that there were like 25 other people there this time. <laughs> it took them a minute to be like, uh, wait a minute. There's kids playing in the pool and running around where we run around. What's going on here? But it was really fun to see them all. It was really fun watching the ones who haven't really interacted with the extended family that much yet get a chance to and to see how they do it, whether it was... Delphine and Aria playing with Legos and the stuffed animals in the dining room. Or it was, I remember at one point I saw your daughter, daughter number two, Aria, down at the pool with my dad and not any of her immediate family around her. Mm -hmm. And that was really cool because they were having like a little bonding moment. (laughs) And then your dad is um, so good with little girls. He He is awesome. No, he, he, I I keep saying, cuz you get more and more like him as you get 
older and he raised two daughters and he's really, really good with little girls. He's very, um, while still encouraging them that they can do anything, he's very tender with them. And it's very, very sweet to see. I kind of have a photo from my childhood where I see this in him and it's really like on display. And I've, I've seen him have the same moment that's in that photo now with my niece and with your daughter. And I'm like, it's just my dad. He's just, he's a good dad of daughters. But it was really special to see her. I loved seeing my niece Delphine. She had a bag of pirate's booty that y'all had bought. And uh, she was going around and, and sharing it one piece with everybody. And that was really cool because she doesn't know know everyone and is usually a little shy. Uh-huh. And so seeing her open up to like these strangers who are family, you know, <laughs> it was so much mm-hmm. fun. It was so much fun. Okay. Guilty confession. One yeah. of my favorite parts of the whole party. Yeah. Uncle Bill's beard. Oh uh, yes. One of our uncles who never had a beard our entire life now has quite the, the Sean Connery mustache and beard going on. And, <laughs> and aunt Maureen loves it. She told him not to shave it. <laughs> Lizzie goes, I need to retire. Is this what you get to do when you retire? You get I to know. <laughs> take long distance bike rides and grow a beard. Grow a beard and eat good food and watch children play. And it's just charmed, charmed life that these posts live. <laughs> it was a really great party. It was really fun to see us even fall into some of the traditional etiquette things you all write in about. I think oh, there was yes. some encouragement that some people still needed to RSVP. Tell Dan the story. I, Go ahead. Yeah. Tell the story. Dan and I both got called out for not RSVPing. And I was like, "What? What? I'm your daughter. I was there when you set up the plans to make this. You told me I don't need to bring anything because you've got ham and macaroni and cheese and everyone else is bringing like sides and desserts. What about that didn't indicate that I'm coming to the party? And my dad was like, oh, okay, okay. He goes, well, well, Dan and Willie still haven't, you know, emailed us. And sure enough, like Will's email came in like four hours later. And then, um, which yes, had, for those of you doing the math, means I was the last one. Yes, and I had to, I had to tell Dan that he was, he was getting talked about. The little birds were whispering, <laughs> and they were lovingly teasing. But it is just the irony of a family whose family business is about etiquette, like griping about the RSVPs. I mean, it's just too much. Um, but it was fun. We did. We we got you. you I, I saw it come in. I saw the email that said we will be there. <laughs> well, and I appreciated the word of mouth back channel nudge, <laughs> as opposed to like a front of a front of channel nudge. <laughs> Email to everyone. Well, we've heard from everyone. We think Dan's coming, but. <laughs> Oh man. But it was it was it was really great. Everybody came, everybody showed up. We were all able to be there. It was really fun. I was impressed with all the stuff people brought. Jill made a salad, a kale and parmesan salad that was just unbelievably delicious. It was a good party. It was a really good party. <laughs> it was, and I am already looking forward to a new tradition. I can't wait to do it next year. Me too. Me too. Well, you know what else I can't wait to get to? I bet you can guess. Do we have some questions? We do. Let's Should get we get to, some to questions. it? Let's do it. Let's do it. Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions. You can email them to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Or you can reach us on social media. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we are the Emily Post Institute. Just remember, use the hashtag awesomeetiquette with your post so that we know you want your question on the show. Awesome Etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. 
Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? <laughs> StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. <laughs> After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Our first question today is titled Pool Problem. Hi, Awesome Etiquette. I've got a challenging issue that keeps coming up and I'm never sure how to address it. At my gym, there are a couple of lap pools that members can reserve. Each pool is big enough for only one person at a time, which is why there is a reservation system. The challenge is that sometimes the person who has the pool before me runs over time. My guess is they don't realize because you can't exactly keep track of time while you're swimming. But this causes an issue for me because I swim for the entire duration of my reservation. So if the person before me runs over, it would force me to shorten my workout, especially if someone has reserved the slot immediately after me. My question is, how can I respectfully get someone's attention and alert them that their time has ended and someone else's has begun? This is extremely awkward because, in essence, I am interrupting someone's workout and asking them to leave the pool. Of course, I've tried to solve the issue by approaching the gym staff and asking them to address it, but they are usually uncomfortable with that request and decline. Do you have any suggestions for how to proceed? Thank you. John. Woo! Oh, John, this is a tricky situation, not because the situation is so tricky, but because you've in some ways tried the very first piece of advice that I would be inclined to offer, and it hasn't worked. And in some ways, I find myself wanting to address not the rudeness, but the the lack of response from the staff there to help you get into the pool at your reserved time. One of my first thoughts about that was that it might be worth looking for a manager or someone who's got maybe a little more authority on the on the floor. I don't know what the setup is for staff or management of the facility, but there might be someone who feels more confident than the person behind the desk to make the request that someone is out of the pool when they're not scheduled to be in the pool. It might even be that having that conversation a little ahead of time, a little early, might set them up to be ready for that moment when it happens. You could even say something like, I have had this situation pop up before in the past mm -hmm. and looked for someone to respond to it and they weren't able to do anything. I'm hoping that you can help me out if it happens again. And then you set yourself up where they've already agreed to play the role that you would expect them to play in that situation. Mm -hmm. No, I like that idea. I also, and maybe this is a, a little too stark, a little too black and white, but I appreciate John's desire to be respectful of the fact that speaking directly to the person who's gone over their, their time in the lap pool means that they'd be interrupting that workout. And I don't think that two rudes make a right. So I don't think that just because this person has spilled over that you have a right to be rude to them about interrupting their workout. But I don't think that interruption is actually rude because they've already cross the line by going over their time into your workout time. So they're already operating outside of a system. And I think that, that it, it gives me less concern 
about stopping them or interrupting them or getting their attention at this particular moment. I know it can be really frustrating when you just want to, you know, oh, finish that last thing or cross to that next mile or, you know, hit that next number. But the reality is this particular part of the gym has a very specific setup to it. And when that setup gets interrupted or when when something is changing the nature of it or how it's supposed to work, that I think gives us a space to be able to say, you know, excuse me, basically, and to to pop into that space and say, you know, I, I did sign up for this at 11 and I really try to use my entire lap time. So I'm going to ask if you could finish up this lap, that would be great. And I think that it's appropriate given the nature of this setup. We've had this question in the form of like treadmills or weightlifting equipment or things like that at a gym before. And I see this as no different when there's a specific sign up. What I am really bummed about though, Dan, is that the staff isn't willing to help. That I find to be frustrating. And I'm so with you that a couple times asking and noticing that they're really either directly declining or very unwilling and trying to find other things to do, you know, today instead of helping you. I think that is worthy of speaking to a manager about and at least getting straight what the expectations are. It might be that this gym says we really don't interfere. But personally, I think that's a mistake on the facilities part. I think that they're they're creating this space. You're paying for it. I think they need to manage it personally. I agree. And it's why I mentioned it first, but I'm really glad that you went where you did, because I also think in many ways, that's the most practical advice, which is as long as you're not rude, it's okay to alert someone to a schedule that you have already signed up for that has you using that pool at this time. And I was feeling so confident about that. I was even ready to take a crack at a oh, sample script. Let's but then hear it, cuz. I want to hear it. You did even better than my sample script with just the excuse me. And you're so right. That's the perfect thing to say because it it starts you off on that respectful footing that says, listen, I know I'm interrupting, but I think I've got a reason for it. <laughs> and I'm acknowledging that I'm interrupting by saying, excuse me. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to replace my hi there, which was conversational and I like it warm. too, though. I like it too. I like hi there. <laughs> You could say, hi there, excuse me. Mm-hmm. It's 11.02, and I have the pool reserved for 11. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I only have a half hour to get my workout in. Yeah. And if I'm in the pool, I'm saying, oh, my goodness, sorry, I didn't realize what time it was. And that's when then you say, I I totally understand how easy it is for that to happen, but think, thanks so much. I really appreciate it um, as they get out of the pool. Close it with that thank you. <laughs> That's how I imagine that situation developing. Yeah. And if something else happens where someone says, sorry, I'm going to finish off my laps, um, that that really is something that I feel like then you can go get a staff member. But again, we're in this position where the staff members aren't helping. And I find that a little <laughs> frustrating. That like stymies my plan. I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. But I think most people are going to have the reaction that Dan had, which is that, that oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize, you know, let me hop out for you. John, I was about to say, there you have it. It's that easy. But you asked the question because it's precisely not always that easy. We really appreciate you taking care with the people around you, but hope that our answer helps you get back in the pool. And, of course, the better he could swim, the less Bill feared the water. Whether or not he wins in the swimming meet, he has proved to himself and to others that he is not a coward. Well, we all have little fears which hamper us. We should take a tip from Bill. Our lives can be richer, happier, if we overcome our fears. Our next question is a two-parter, and it's called Small Ceremony Squad. (laughs) I like that. Dear Lizzie and Dan, thank you for continuing to create such a wonderful podcast. It has made a great difference in my life. I am overjoyed to discover that the more of an effort I make to make others' lives easier and more enjoyable, the more my own life becomes easy and enjoyable as well. It's amazing how when we stop focusing on I, me, mine— we realize just how few needs we truly have. I have also noticed how much more warmly strangers are now responding toward me. Everybody wins when good etiquette is at play. Oh, I love that. I know. What a remarkable thought to begin a question with. I have two questions for you. 
both of which stem from my fiancé's and my decision to have a small 30-person wedding. I am only inviting three friends to my wedding, but have a larger circle of girlfriends who I would love to invite to my bachelorette party. I am planning on having a very low-key bachelorette party that involves no or a small optional financial investment. We all went to college together, and most are still good friends, so I think it would be a fun reunion for everyone. Is the idea of inviting friends to the bachelorette party who are not invited to the wedding a hard and fast etiquette no-no? Or is it understandable, given the size of my wedding? And the second part of the question. We will be live streaming our ceremony for those who are unable to attend or are not invited to the in-person event but are still part of our lives. What is the appropriate language to use when inviting people to watch, specifically for those who are not invited to the event, without coming across as saying, you're not important enough to make the cut, but here's a consolation prize. It doesn't feel honest to say, we wish we could have you with us at our event, when the truth is we could have, we just chose not to. I would be so grateful if you would please work your sample script magic. Thank you. Sincerely, Bewildered Bride. Oh, bewildered bride. First of all, just thank you for being someone out there who is thinking about their own behavior and how it impacts others. It's awesome to hear about how that's transformed your life um, and sort of the experience you have as you step outside your door. I want to just dive right. Should we just dive right in, Dan? Let's go. Let's go. Question number one. I feel like the answer is yes, but no, but yes, but no. Oh, Te- it's a really hard one, isn't it? It's a it? really hard one, but I think with a little reframing, it it might help. First of all, you really can do pretty much anything you want, right? As Dan says, you got to know the rules to break the rules. And it's not uncommon when someone chooses a really small or maybe a very remote destination wedding or maybe even just a family wedding to have the larger circle of friends be willing to participate in a lot of pre-wedding party events that they wouldn't normally participate in because they're not invited to the wedding. And I think that that's a, some groups can pull that off. Some groups can't. And I don't, I don't know where Bewildered Bride will fall on that line, but I do know that typically from an etiquette standpoint, you don't invite anybody to pre-wedding parties who isn't also invited to the wedding. That being said, you've got this group of really close friends from college. They, I'm guessing you've shared with them a lot of your wedding plans already, so most of them know they aren't invited. I think if they wanted to organize something to celebrate you, that that would be wonderful. I like the idea of it coming from them more than coming from the the bachelorette actually asking people to come to a party where they're then not invited to the wedding. At the same time, y'all just might be close enough where you're in charge of planning that event or you're, you know, you and and maybe, as you said, one or one or two of the friends that you're inviting to the wedding are in charge of planning that event. And they know that everyone else really wants to come, wants to participate is hoping that this will happen, those would all be green light signs that it would be okay to do this. And I think that's the way that you want to approach this particular bachelorette party um, is either the friends are choosing to do this for you, knowing that they're not invited to the wedding, or you guys are just so on the same page about what is going on that you know you're able to to pull off organizing this gathering um even if it does come sort of from you or from one of the bridesmaids who's going to be at the event. Dan, what do you think about the live streaming question? Lizzie, I have so many thoughts and the first one is a very big picture thought. Yeah. And I'm wondering are weddings really changing? And mm. this question just Along with the fact that I recently got an email invitation to a wedding of a very, very good old friend (laughs) has made me wonder if some combination of the technology shift and the pandemic coming and going has disrupted our expectations around wedding traditions enough that we're going to be hearing a lot more questions like this, just dealing with the reality of a lot more emailed invitations, ceremonies that are also streamed or made available to people that aren't able to be there in in real time or in person. And 
that was my biggest picture thought about this is, and that, that maybe our advice is going to start to shift some as the reality of more people doing this really starts to set the stage for how you do it well. I mean, virtual weddings or live streaming your wedding has definitely been a thing for a little while now. It hasn't been as ubiquitous as it became during the pandemic. But I I don't think emailed invitations are going to take over right now. And that's only because we are still seeing so many problems with them as illustrated. And I think it was episode 417 recently um, where there's a lot of questions as to who was supposed to receive that invitation, who's actually on it, who it's addressed to, if the email, if it's coming to an email address, how on earth do you make sure there's a plus one? Okay, you've got to make sure that's written into the people. But it was that was a very, I would say, not well handled email invitation. I know that you and I, Dan, have both experienced I would say good, bad, and in-between versions of emailed invitations to weddings. But the live streaming, I do think that that is going to be around. I think that's going to be a way for a lot of people to participate, a lot of people to work within their budget and still celebrate. And I think that that's that to me, that seems like something that's really here to stay. And I just going right off of our main concern with this question I don't think you have to be forced to have a small wedding in order to have a live stream to your wedding. Mm-hmm. I think that this doesn't have to be looked at as as one of those sort of look at the negative space to find the negative thing, you know? It's like inviting people to be part of a live stream, I think says more about trying to be inclusive than it does about, oh, you didn't make the list of people who could attend. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering about how you manage the details of sharing it. And mm. do you think that something like a invitation to view a ceremony or giving someone the option to view a ceremony is an email level contact event? I do. I do. And I actually think that a I would want to communicate it to those people as best I could. So some of them, especially because this is a small wedding, so a lot of the nearest and dearest aren't even on the list of people who are going to be at the 30-person wedding. I think that some of those people, it might be even a, a direct text message, which I think sometimes feels much more personal than email. And for other folks, you're going to want to use the email. But I think because you're trying to deliver a link, that it really helps to do this via email and then also get a little bit of like word of mouth going on around everybody just to to make sure people are checking their emails <laughs> that they're they're on the lookout for this type of thing and i think that just being really positive about the invitation I don't think you have to say, we know we have a small wedding and that's why we're inviting you to celebrate with us virtually. I think you just simply bring your positive self to that invitation and say, we would love for you to be able to celebrate with us virtually if you can. Here is a link. Here is the day. We would love it if you could be there for us in this way. And if, you know, and I I don't even know if you have to add that. And if you can't, we totally understand. But it, it, you know, it might be a nice soft touch. But I think just make the invitation, make it clear and try to avoid pre-apologizing when you you haven't even known whether that's an issue for the person receiving it or not. If someone has a problem with it and they choose to speak up, that's when you can say, "We're really sorry. We had to, you know, we had to make some decisions or we chose to make some decisions and and this is where we came out with it, you know, and we hope you'll understand." Is really the best you can do when someone's upset with how they are or are not participating in your wedding. I was trying to imagine where some potential hiccups could occur. Sure. Because very much like you, when I received an email invitation to the wedding, there were, because it wasn't as familiar a medium, there were some questions about the way it functioned that that weren't entirely clear, that took a little bit of working out. And I was imagining what some of those might be in this situation. One thought that I had was that it might be useful to let people know whether or not it's um, an option to share the link to the ceremony. If it's something that you're just generally distributing and would be happy if one college friend gave it to another college friend or whether you really intend it to be a link and an access that's for the person who's the recipient alone. 
that was one question that I had in my mind, sort of language about can they share that link or not? Oh, I think that's a really smart thing to include. I think that is a very smart thing to include. And some people will be like, share it with whomever you want to. Other people will definitely want to say, you know, no, <laughs> um, please don't share this link beyond, you know, the person who received it in the email. And that's on my radar from a previous question that we had yes. about someone who was not happy that something had been shared as broadly as it had been shared. Yeah. The, the other question that came to my mind is, is it going to raise confusion for people about whether or not they're expected to send a gift? Yes. Is the invitation to a virtual ceremony close enough to an in-person invitation to a ceremony that someone might start to feel the pressure from that social obligation? And I didn't know if – and I wanted to ask you, Lizzie, because I wasn't sure yeah. whether a mention of no gifts, please, was appropriate or whether by avoiding the language around it being an invitation might and, – and, and offering yeah. it more as an, an announcement or a – if if the language was we wanted to share this with you as opposed to please join us for <laughs> exactly would be yeah. enough to start to actually like thread that needle i think those subtleties are things people won't pick up on as easily in terms of a connection to a gift but i do think that leaving registry information off of this invitation not mentioning gifts for me, at least right now, I think that's the way to go. I received a virtual wedding invitation that had – and it, like I can see why they chose the wording that they did. But it said, if you, you know, if you feel inspired to give a gift, here's our registry. And it frankly made me mad. Now, I am an etiquette author. I think about these things. I talk about them. I've got, you know, a hundred years worth of books sitting behind my desk right now that say, like, no, stop, don't to that particular idea. And so I, I recognize that my perspective is a little bit different, but I felt the negative space of, I've And this did happen to, with a pandemic wedding, and so it was a wedding I had been uninvited from. But the, the things that I found really frustrating was that they made mention of the local family and friends who could be there. And I was a local family and friend who was not – who was uninvited. So I've already felt like a dig at that. Okay, so clearly I'm not close enough even though we live together. Like, you know, it felt it felt yucky. And then at the bottom to also see kind of a request for gifts and the link to that felt even yuckier. And so it like it's like, oh, I'm not good enough to come to the wedding. I'm not good enough to be included in the circle of friends that are here. And now you want a gift from me, too. It felt gross. And that's just me. That's my perspective. It's how it landed for me. Someone else might have gotten that and think, oh, this is so great. I've got the registry info. I can get them something. I'm so happy to watch them. My experience was not one that made me walk away from that feeling good. And we've gone on way too long with this answer, so I apologize. I'll stop bringing it back to a personal experience. But I think that these types of things are the things you want to think about before you craft that message out. So again, I would not worry about saying things like you're invited to or please join us for, but I would not include anything related to gifts on that. If people want to get you a gift, they'll reach out and, and ask you if you have a registry. Or maybe they'll search for your public registry. You know, we've had As that. As we're learning, more and more people are okay with. Doing that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bewildered Bride, thank you for your thoughts on the show and your two-part question. You've definitely given me a lot to think about, and we really appreciate this opportunity to look at the way weddings are changing and developing and hopefully giving some guidance as we develop new traditions for getting married. It happens in your town, and it happens in my town, each day, each week, each month. But before every wedding must come a prelude, a first chapter in these love stories that will carry on through years and years of happiness. Our next question is titled Superfluous Shower. To whom it may concern. My much younger sister got married after a three-month engagement. She had a small wedding with only close family invited. Now she wants a shower just over a month after her wedding. 
I think it's a bit tacky as she already was living with her now husband and they need nothing. She even expressed she was having a hard time coming up with a registry on Amazon and at Walmart as they don't need anything. I'm sitting here with these invitations feeling rude for even sending them. As her sister, I shouldn't even be throwing this shower, and financially, her wedding and this shower have been a burden since I was a bridesmaid. My daughter was the flower girl, my two young sons were ring bearers, my two older sons were ushers, and my husband did the music. We all had to purchase the wedding attire she wanted, as well as hair being done and such. Now I'm stuck doing this shower. I just so dislike asking all of these people who were not invited to the wedding to just buy her a gift because she had been told to have a shower just to get all the free stuff. I'm at a loss for what to do here. My name is on the invitations she made as the hostess, and they have the registries listed as well. Feel free to edit this down. It's a lot to take in. Thanks for your guidance. Sincerely, a sister just trying to do what's right. Oh, oh, damn. It's a yucky feeling, isn't I it? I want to hug her. <laughs> like, I know. I or do offer too. her a hug to be proper about it. <laughs> and I'm also glad that you didn't edit the question down because Me too. I, as much as I want to pull back from a situation that I feel is awkward, I want to know enough about it to, to be able to hopefully give an answer that is helpful. And I personally could get a little lost in those weeds. So I'm going to look for some etiquette points to hang my hat on and the first one that's occurring to me is a shower after a wedding is not something i've heard of before it's not something that i've got any familiarity with from an etiquette perspective that stuck out to me too because that is like it, it we see it happen with baby showers sometimes a baby comes early and so you do a shower after the baby arrives i went to my friend heather's shower that way it was great you don't do that with weddings. It's it, it's just different. It, it Like the wedding itself also involves gifts. It's just, it's like we're, we're done once we're done with the wedding. I'm also wondering about what kind of overlap. There's another very firm etiquette rule in my mind that says that unless someone's invited to the ceremony, you don't invite them to a shower. And I know Correct. we carve out exceptions for workplace showers with colleagues and coworkers who wouldn't expect to go to the wedding, but really want to do something. But this doesn't feel like that kind of a situation. And I'm g- genuinely a little concerned that there might be invitations going out to a shower after the ceremony to people that weren't even invited to the ceremony. So those are two really hard and fast etiquette reasons for, I think, why a sister just trying to do what's right, our listener who's written in with this question, is feeling yucky about what is is happening, is that these these two kind of big etiquette things are at play. And the thing that's a little bit more on the judgmental or opinionated side um, that I'm just going to put out there because I'm, I'm going to do it. I know is, what you're going to say, Lizzie Post, or I think I know what you're going to say. We're go- like, that her friend convinced her she should have this shower after her wedding because she missed out on all the free stuff. That's exactly not why you throw a shower. <laughs> like, it is really supposed to set you up for a special and new time and often a very big change in your life. If you don't need to be set up or don't want to be set up or don't want to change the gifts to, you know, words of wisdom or something like that, if you do have your life set up already, then you just don't need a shower, which is probably why the sister who got married didn't throw a shower before the the wedding is because she just didn't feel like she needed it. And now it seems like there's some pressure from outside people just to do, and I'm going to use the term, I know some of our audience doesn't like it, a grab for gifts, a chance to get all the free stuff. And that's where I'm like, I, I would have walked away from it at that point personally, because I wouldn't have been able to handle that. But that to me, from an outside, from a not etiquette perspective, but from just a straight up judgment, I, I'm not landing on the side of that's a good good reason to throw a party. And having a reason that's less than perfect, I think, pushes you to make decisions along the way that aren't great decisions. Like, I'm going to invite a lot of people, or I'm going to invite people that didn't get to come to the wedding, or this is just another way to celebrate the wedding, and it's okay if I do it after, and that isn't familiar or easily understood by people that might be invited. Having found 
herself in this awkward situation. Our sister who's trying to do what's right. I'm trying to think of a good etiquette response. And that's where I'm actually getting hung up a little bit because it feels like we've gone down this road a ways. If we're already looking at the, the printed invitations, it sounds to me like there has been some willingness to go along with this up to this point mm-hmm. that you wouldn't be this far down the road without having gone down the road a little bit in un, under your own control in some ways so i think that if you want to extricate yourself from the situation if you find yourself at a, a point where you just really don't feel comfortable sending these invitations there are too many issues either with your own personal feelings about it or with how you think they'll be received I think that the etiquette solution is that you need to talk to your sister about why you're thinking that or feeling that. And it might be that when you raise an issue that you also think about ways that you could help solve them. So it might be about suggesting a different person to officially host the party. I know that your name is already printed on them and it might mean that you have to participate in the next round of invitations or mm-hmm. in finding that other host. Mm-hmm. Or it might be that just when you're bringing up these concerns that that inspires your sister to see it in a slightly different way. Well, Dan, that's my hope. I'll be honest. I was like you. I was like, okay, so yes, this this is not good. We're identifying it as not good. We We sympathize with the sister who's not feeling right about this. What do you do? And the options are either you you charge through it and recognize you're doing something you don't feel comfortable with, but you're going to go ahead anyway because the the wheels are in motion. Or you pull the pull the brake and you say, "I'm really sorry, but the further we get down this road, the less and less comfortable I am with it." You know. I don't know whether the sister has really glommed on to the idea of throwing this party and getting all these gifts, even though it's not really, you know, the the right etiquette way to do it, you know, or whether the sister herself is, is feeling like pressured to do this. That line of she's been told to have a shower just to get all the free stuff makes me think it really wasn't her original idea to do something like this. But I'm wondering if, In having that conversation about how this is making our listener who wrote in feel uncomfortable about it, if she's able to redirect the idea of the party to that of a second reception, because that is totally appropriate and it can kind of be in anything goes. And it's the kind of thing that you would invite people who weren't invited to the original wedding. You know, it's not a shower, but it's a second reception. So you just want to, obviously, that would mean new invitations and things like that. But I wonder if the two sisters could come together in that space in a much better and more comfortable and confident way than it appears that they're experiencing this space of the wedding shower, post shower, which we know just isn't done. Lizzie Post, I love that suggestion. I think it is a potentially very elegant solution that allows our sisters trying to do what's right to offer Mm -hmm. a really right option. And by really right, I mean hopefully something that would make everyone feel very good, that it's a great way to invite people to come celebrate with you. And I love how you pointed out, and I was thinking about this as a a hook. It would be that little thing I keep in my pocket for the point in the discussion where I I sensed we could maybe go either way and you could maybe throw this on the scale to tip it in one direction. I think that you're absolutely right. The reality is Mm -hmm. a lot of people are going to be so excited for this couple that they're going to bring a gift, even though it's not an expected event or a social obligation that, that it's something a lot of people will feel inspired to do. And that's the feeling we're looking for here. The the, the whole idea of a shower is that People are so happy for you. They want to do things for you. And in some ways, it's based on a practical assessment of need. These are opportune moments in life to help set someone up for a new phase in their life. But the gift giving at a shower isn't dependent on that. And there was one other thing in this question that I wanted to address, which was the need that the sister had for gifts. And I'm in that camp that thinks that that assessment of need works when it's working for you to inspire you about what to get or to be generous, but that looking at someone and saying, well, they have everything. They don't need a gift. They don't deserve a gift. Mm -hmm. That's also not a place of generosity that I want to be coming from when I'm thinking about gift giving. I would much rather say to myself, 
that's a person who has everything. It's going to be a great challenge to figure out a gift to give them that's going to be meaningful to them or that they're going to care about or that's going to connect us. And I think it can make it more challenging to find the perfect gift. But I also think that there are ways to do gift giving, whether someone's in a position of really needing that gift or not, Mm -hmm. it can be about more than that. Mm -hmm. And that's where I'd like to get this party back to. And I think that your idea about thinking of it as a second reception and an opportunity to celebrate mm-hmm. as opposed to a gift giving party, which is what a shower is, is really a good way to do that. A sister who's just trying to do what's right. We really sympathize with your situation and we hope that our suggestion leads to a party that you both can feel great about. Here, here, what's the trouble? Oh, it, it's nothing, dear. I'm just being silly. Come on now, tell me what it's all about. Come on. I can't go, Baba. I just can't. You mean the party? I'd be too ashamed. Oh, I think it's a swell dress. As nice as any of the latest styles. Well, I guess the style's all right, but... But the material. It's so... so thin. Dull, lifeless. Our next question is about mental health and manners. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. As mental health issues have become more commonly understood and openly discussed, I've found myself wondering about this. Some days, my depression and anxiety can really prevent me from doing my work effectively. In the past, I have called out sick for what is really a mental health day. That is usually followed up days later by, are you feeling better? Or, what was it that had you sick? Is there a sample script for honestly conveying what I'm going through to my boss? Is it appropriate to explain those things to your superior? I feel that it's always better to be honest, but sometimes worry it won't come across the right way. Thanks for all your help, Anna. Anna, honesty definitely is an an important tenet of etiquette, as you guys know. Consideration, respect, and honesty are the three principles we base most of our etiquette off of. But this is one, Dan where I kind of I want your your bigger more philosophical thoughts on it but I also wanted to drill right down into the question that's being asked the issue of the are you feeling better what was it that had you sick number 1 I think the are you feeling better is one I would feel confident reacting to no matter why I was out whether you know I I feel like mental health because it can have those ups and downs to it where, you know, some days it's good, some days it's not. Just the same way I wouldn't necessarily tell someone the grim details of what exactly my body might have experienced when I was sick. I don't think I have to get into the exact nature of why I didn't feel well enough to be at work that day. I think I could just say something like, I am feeling better, thank you, or yes, today is much easier, thank you. And I think those would be really truthful and perfectly appropriate answers to the question of, are you feeling better? What was it that had you sick becomes a little more specified and you might say, you know, it was actually a mental health day, or you might say, you know, I I really wasn't feeling up to myself. Um, you don't have to add a but thanks for asking, but I feel like a lot of people would just naturally. <laughs> but I feel like it's a it's a little harder with that question than it is with the just are you feeling better? But either way, because we're talking about your health, it's really okay for that to be something private if you want it to be. And while I don't think you have to lie to answer these questions, I don't think that you also have to give all the answers if you don't like the full 100% answer if you don't want to. I think precisely because it is a health issue and a health question that you've keyed on a really important point of etiquette, which is that in general, people understand that there is a assumption of privacy and a right to privacy when Mm -hmm. it comes to health issues, whether they're mental health issues or physical health issues or some combination of those two things, because oftentimes they're linked. I like the specificity of your answer, Wizzy, that sometimes feeling better, well, that's always relative, but yes, yes, I'm feeling better today. Thanks for asking, Um, is a different kind of answer than, well, what did you have which is already a violation of our conversation tiers etiquette concept that you don't ask a probing or personal question about a health issue, a family issue, a financial issue, unless the door has been open for you. And it really frees up 
our question asker, Anna, to reply, I'd rather not get into the details, but it's good to be back in the office. Oh, I love that it's, sample script, cuz. Sorry, I didn't mean it, to cut you off. I just, it was really good. Thank you. <laughs> it's, um, it's a possibility to draw that boundary and to not call out someone else's rudeness, but just to be clear that that's not something you're going to share. And the philosophical thought that I could share, and thank you for providing me the opportunity to do so, Azibos, <laughs> is that when we talk about honesty on this show, we often talk about the art of good etiquette being about finding a benevolent or a kind honesty, that we don't always need to be harsh or brutal with our truths. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking that on this show, I'd like to introduce a sibling, a close cousin of benevolent honesty, and this is dis- this is discreet honesty. Ah, pleasure to meet you, discreet. How are you today? I'm doing very well, thank you. And I think I might be able to help out in this current situation that you're dealing with. Oh, lovely. Discreet honesty allows you to be truthful, but also retain your privacy and maintain personal boundaries that are appropriate and that feel good to you. And something like, I'd rather not get into the details but it's good to be back in the office is to me an example of that discreet honesty. If, mm-hmm. if you are indeed glad to be back in the office, right? right. <laughs> maybe it's, I'm glad to be able to work again, or it's good to see you again, or, but at least I'm back at it. Whatever it is, it can be honest and still be respectful that you don't need to share every detail. Anna, you also asked, is it appropriate to explain those things to your superior or to your boss um, to, to honestly convey, is another way you said it, what you're going through to your boss? I think that's a personal decision. I'm really impressed with how it seems that we are really starting to recognize mental health and the need to take care of our mental health the same way we take care of our physical health. So I feel more inclined to say, yes, absolutely. Talk with your superior, talk with the boss. And at the same time, I know that there are still stigmas out there and I don't know who Anna's superiors or bosses are. And she might be in a position where she doesn't feel comfortable talking about these things with, with her boss, whether that's from her or because the, the bosses aren't, aren't sort of giving signs that they would be uh, receptive and supportive of hearing the types of things she deals with when it comes to mental health. So that's really going to be, I think, a, a personal decision. But this is one of those places in etiquette where I'm looking forward to the future when it's just an obvious yes. You know, when the idea of either needing therapy or needing time and space to take care of your mental health isn't something that would even come close to having a stigma attached to it or anything like that. And I think that's what we're a little worried about here when asking, should I explain these things? But it won't always come across the right way. And so I think that it's a really personal decision now. I'm hopeful that in the future, it'll be a, a no brainer that that it's okay to talk about these things you know, to the degree that you're comfortable talking about them with people like a boss or a superior. I agree a thousand percent, particularly if you're already operating within clearly understood and defined HR policies. If you're able to keep the amount of time off that you take within your discretionary sick days, then that's entirely up to you to make those choices. And how much you want to share about that is, is really up to you. And like you, Lizzie, I, I, I think there are real benefits if we can, and it's a, a safe and a comfortable place to to share. But it's also true that, like you said at the start of the question, when you're out physically sick, you don't give people every detail of what you went through in that experience. <laughs> and there's a, a process of, of regulating how much we share just so that we're not asking too much of the people around us either. And it's, so it's this, this balance of finding the support, sharing enough information so people can be there for you, but then also not projecting issues that aren't necessarily workplace issues into the workplace when they don't need to be. Yeah. And finding that balance is a very personal and individual thing to individuals and organizations and groups. The place where I think you want to be careful is if you start to be in a place where you're pushing on the boundaries of that personnel policy. I think you want to start to think more about cluing people in as to what's going on so that they can understand and 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 hopefully hopefully offer that help and support. 
I want to give a little nod to my mother and father at the end of this question. They used to have something that they did with my brother and I when we were growing up that they called the soul day. Mm -hmm. And the idea was that if there was a day where we just didn't feel up to it for whatever reason, if we were run down or tired or just not feeling well, we could take a day off from school and we didn't need to convince ourselves or anyone else that we were sick. We could call it a soul day. And it was essentially what I think people personal might call day. a yeah. mental health day today or a personal health day today. But the idea was that it was okay to carve out some time to take care of yourself. You weren't allowed to take advantage of it. You weren't allowed to do it all the time. But um, it was something that really felt empowering to me as a young person that I had that level of control and decision making about taking care of myself and that I didn't need to make myself sick to do it. And I, I wanted to share that with everybody in the audience because I love the idea of a soul day. And I think we all deserve it every once in a while to take a day just to take care of ourselves. I love it, Dan. I love the soul day. Anna, we hope our answer helps. And thank you so much for the question. Well, those are some of the rules for staying in good mental health. Of course, they're just the ABCs of a subject big enough to fill whole libraries. But as more and more folks get to know these ABCs and follow them, they're going to be able to look at a group like this someday and feel that they have a greater chance than ever for the kind of happy, useful life which will make our world a better place to live in. Thank you for your questions. Please send us updates or feedback on our answers to awesome etiquette at emilypost.com or leave a voicemail or text message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also reach us on social media. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we are the Emily Post Institute. Just use the hashtag awesome etiquette with your social media posts so that we know you want your question on the show. If you enjoy Awesome Etiquette, consider becoming a sustaining member. You can find out more about this by visiting us at patreon.com slash awesomeetiquette. You'll get an ads-free version of the show and access to bonus questions each week. Plus, you'll feel great knowing that you help to keep Awesome Etiquette on the air. And to those of you who are already sustaining members, thank you so much for your support. It's time for our feedback segment where we hear from you about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. Today, we have a voicemail from Dale on how to leave a guest bed before departing. Just listen to episode 416 and that part about uh, how do you leave the guest bed just brought back very happy memories to me of my childhood when my mom, my aunt, my great aunt, my cousins in that generation, that was just an endless debate about how the bed should be left. Do you make the bed, which uh, the other group uh, thought implied you got your host was not going to remake the bed? Do you leave it turned down neatly? Do you strip the sheet? Um, and then what would the person think you meant by that? And how are you judging them by how you left the bed? Um, and then uh, my mom would always say, you know, you really should just ask, just just ask what's better for the, for the uh, person who hosted you. And I just thought that was a, it was a great happy reminder. Um, and so I always enjoy the show. I enjoy being a sustaining member and uh, just just had a, a lovely memory today from from uh, listening. Bye. That is a what a sweetheart. But B, that just so I, I'm sitting here with the biggest smile on my face with that feedback, because hearing Dale talk about how it reminded him of some of the classic etiquette debates in the family. It reminded me of some of the classic etiquette debates we have in my family. And it's so fun to think that not only do these questions and the answers inspire ideas about how to behave, but they inspire memories and they can stir up nostalgia, even if it's for disagreements. Um, but I love that mom breaks in to just say, you know, you really should just ask. It's like you're hearing everyone, you know, try and 
and further think down the line. Well, your host could think this. Oh, but the host then might think that about the guest if they strip the bed. Or like, who's assuming what about whom? And mom just breaks in with the you really should just ask. And it's just so great. I love it. I really love this feedback, Dan. Well, and I, I can't help it. I always get meta. And my thought is that it's not just the etiquette itself. It's not just mm-hmm. what we do. Turn down the bed. Don't turn down the bed. Ask. Strip the sheets. It's the whole discussion about it. And all the mm-hmm. characters and the relationships that that participated in that discussion and the way that formed and created an impression, it reminds me that just like this show, oftentimes it's the discussion that's the important thing as much as the answer. Yeah. And it's it's really foundational for memories and good behavior. Dale, <laughs> thank you so much for sharing with us. And thank you for being a sustaining member. We really appreciate it. And thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please keep them coming. You can send your feedback or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Or you can leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. It's time for our Postscript segment, where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And today, we would like to honor the news about the death of Queen Elizabeth II by sharing a section from Emily Post's Etiquette, the Centennial Edition, on writing condolence notes. Sympathy and condolence notes. Condolence notes are sent only when a death occurs. Sympathy notes can be sent for both hard times and also when a death occurs. Sending your condolences to those who are grieving is actually a very meaningful part of the grieving process for both parties. Being able to reach out and say, your loved one meant something to me too, and they will be missed, is deeply human. When your loved one is passed, receiving word of how loved someone close to you was, how appreciated they were, is comforting. Hearing stories about a person you cherished can be like finding proof and permanence when life just proved itself so fragile and fleeting. Even when you did not personally know the deceased— Offering your condolences to someone you know who is grieving is appropriate and thoughtful. There are some things to consider when writing a condolence letter, but first and foremost, write it from the heart. Write what you want to say. You can simply say how sorry you were to hear the news and that you hope the bereaved is comforted at this time. If you have a memory of the person that would highlight some of their good qualities, you may certainly include it. It will be welcome. If you had more of a connection with the bereaved, you can make that the personal point of the note. For a sympathy note, keep the focus on the affected person and your good wishes for them. It's okay to address the news itself, for example, I'm so sorry to hear you broke your leg, but avoid assuming you know how they feel by saying things like, that must be awful for you, or you must be devastated. Instead, try, I hope your recovery goes smoothly for you. That reading is from page 235, and we now jump to page 107 for a sample note. Dear Virginia, I'm so sorry to hear the news about Mac passing away. My heart aches for you and your family right now. When I picture Mac, I can't help but smile. That big grin, his wild bow ties, and the sparkle in his eye. What a treasured friend to have. And what a wonderful husband, uncle, brother, and son. I'm thinking of all of you at this time, and I will reach out to check in on you in the coming weeks. Right now, I hope you are surrounded by the love and support you need, and that you are comforted by all the wonderful ways Mac was able to touch so many people's lives. With sympathy and love, Elizabeth. Dan, thank you for doing that reading. I know it's a sad topic, but at the same time, it really is so impactful to be able to express our condolences to people. And we truly hope that this sample and a little bit of discussion on it can help folks be able to express their condolences.
We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many forms. Today, we have a salute from Rebecca. I want to salute my lovely neighbors who continue to show me acts of generosity which make me feel so welcome and appreciated. Shortly after I moved in, one of my neighbors showed up to welcome me. He had noticed that I had put lots of houseplants in my window, so had gone and bought me a new plant to add to my collection. More recently, I noticed that another neighbor was growing her own plant collection, so I offered her some cuttings from mine. I left them in a container outside her front door, and hours later the container showed up outside mine, clean and dry and containing a box of treats for my dog. I was so touched by both these situations, where not only was the generosity unexpected, but showed so much thoughtfulness. Cheers to my wonderful neighbors, who I'm thankful to live next to every day. Aw, Rebecca, thank you so much. That is a wonderful salute, and we so appreciate you sharing it with us. Good neighbors make good communities. I'm hearing the Mr. Rogers theme song in my head right now. I know, right? (laughs) Thank you so much for the salute. Thank you all for listening today. And thank you to everyone who sent us something and everyone who supports us on Patreon. Please connect with us and share this show with your friends, family, co-workers, or even strangers, any way that you like to share podcasts. You can send us your next question, piece of feedback, or salute by email to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463, and we love to hear your voice. On Twitter, we are at Emily Post Inst. On Instagram, we are at Emily Post Institute. And on Facebook, we are the Emily Post Institute. Please consider becoming a sustaining member of the podcast by visiting patreon.com slash awesome etiquette. You can also subscribe to the ads version of our show on Spotify or your favorite podcast app. And please consider leaving us a review. It helps our show ranking, which helps more people to find awesome etiquette. Our show is edited by Chris Albertine and assistant produced by Bridget Dowd. Thanks, Thanks, Chris Chris and Bridget. Bridget.